Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, thank you so much for making this possible. Thank you for blessing us and drawing us and giving us your wisdom, Lord, your exhortations, your promises. Oh, praise your name. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Okay, we're calling this Bride Rewarded, Wicked Judged. And uh, I'm going to start with a revelation given to William Steenland on 4:23:22. We called it Bride Protected as the Wicked is Nuked. Hmm. Bill said, I dreamed I was in my kitchen preparing dinner. And this could be representing the preparation of the spiritual food to feed God's elect. I was suddenly translated to a place in the mountains. Uh, I believe this represents the choosing of the bride, bringing her to Mount Zion, which is a place of safety from the beast. Although I was incredibly surprised about the miracle, I knew why the Lord had done it. I had a horrible feeling and immediately started searching the skies, and I said to myself, Oh my God, this is it, and it must have started. Okay, there was a a light orange flash way, way off in the distance. The people to be judged will be spiritually far from Zion and the presence of God. Bill said, I saw the top of a mushroom cloud. The Lord was letting me know nuclear weapons were going off in a distance that I couldn't physically see. Uh, Well, I asked the Lord if we should cast this down by faith and got a no. Some of these questions led us to a conclusion. Um, I forwarded this to Eve uh, to get her to get her answer on it too and she cast lots asking the lord if we can pray this down and she received three tails for no i asked the lord are we going to have a nuclear war and got a no then i asked will there be a smaller nuclear exchange at this time and got a no and i asked the lord do these nukes just symbolize devastation on a nuclear level as we have seen in other dreams, and I got a yes. So I asked, is this the unelect faction being destroyed, as we've received other revelations of, and I got a yes. Are there not uh, physical nuclear attacks, uh, but the Lord's destruction that he will bring on the factious in the church and the deep state? 
So, uh, as in a, a nuclear attack, there will be desolation, waste, astonishment, as the Lord said in Ezekiel 35, 2 through 4. Son of man, set thy face against Mount Sur, which was the uh, leadership of the Edomites, who are Esau's seed, who persecuted and betrayed their brother Israel. And prophesy against it, and say unto it, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, O Mount Sur, and I will stretch out my hand against thee, and I will make thee a desolation and an astonishment. I will lay thy cities, which I believe represents congregations, waste, and thou shalt be desolate, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. So there is a desolation coming uh, to the wicked here. And Bill went on to say, little mushroom clouds, which I think speaks of taking out individuals, appeared in the background and stuck in the sky as if it was some computer program that pinned the location of the blast in the distance. Well, as we have seen, the deep state can kill many instantly through smartphones and a computer program that pins their position. As I moved around, the symbols would stay in their places. There were many, many of these nukes going off. I continued to walk up this hill to an abandoned house with no windows or doors. It was made of concrete and looked like the place the Lord was sending me to hide. I believe this is representing the refuge that God has prepared for his people to be hidden in the rock, the secret place of the Most High. And their freedom to come and go is unhindered as there is no windows or doors. The house had a bunch of silver everywhere. Well, we know from other revelations that the Lord will supply for, for the financial and physical needs of his people in times ahead. Some say ultimately silver will be more valuable than gold. Bill said, I thought I could barter using them, so I started to break them apart and put them in a backpack. It stuck me struck me odd that whoever was there previously didn't see the value in the silver. Well, it could be because it will be so plentiful, you know. Then I looked out of the little concrete building and there was a massive food processing plant nearby. I remember almost laughing because the Lord had put me right next to a food processing plant. I thought, oh wow, that's that. Thank you God. Well, food and money will be plentiful among the bride as the Lord spoke in Isaiah 61, 5 through 8. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God, and you shall eat the wealth of the nations. 
and in their glory shall you boast yourselves. And instead of your shame, you shall have double. And instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. For I, the Lord, love justice, and I hate robbery. Well, the factions, as we know, have stolen whenever they had a chance to steal from their brethren. So I hate robbery with iniquity, he said, and I will give them their recompense. In other words, I'm going to pay them back. In truth, God will repay. I will make uh, an everlasting covenant with them. I asked, will this devastation of the wicked come after we get the provision and this refuge? And received a yes. And uh, Eve also asked for a confirming word for this and received Psalm 81 and 5 in context 5 through 7. He appointed it in Joseph for a testimony when he went out over the land of Egypt where I heard a language that I knew not. Of course, Joseph represents the man-child in our day. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. The slavery, in other words. Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee in the waters of Meribah. Selah. So, as the dream changed, Bill said, I was still in the house, but was talking to a woman dressed in camouflage. <clears throat> well, the bride is hidden <laughs> in the secret place of the Most High. Camouflage, hidden. She was explaining to me where we were in the mountains, and she told me the state, the mountain range, and the roadway, and I can't remember what it was, but I knew it was somewhat iconic well-known and popular for mountain travel. There was a Native American word, she told me, and I remember thinking, I need to look that up and find the meaning, but I cannot remember the name. I knew more people were coming, some of them good and some of them bad, and that is because many will come and be saved, uh, healed, delivered in the revival. Amen. Eve asked for a word by faith at random for Bill's dream and received Ezekiel 21, 28 through 32. And thou, son of man, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord concerning the children of Ammon and concerning their reproach. And say thou, a sword, a sword is drawn for the slaughter. It is furbished to cause it to devour, that it may be as lightning. Well, there it is again. Uh, so I asked, is this representing the swift taking down of those who factioned against their own kinsmen? And uh, got a yes. While they see 
for the false visions while they divine lies to thee to lay thee upon the necks of the wicked that are deadly wounded whose day is come in the time of the iniquity of the end. Cause it to return into its sheath in the place where thou wast created. In the land of thy birth will I judge thee. I will pour out mine indignation upon thee, and I will blow upon thee with the fire of my wrath. And I will deliver thee into the land of brutish, into the hand, excuse me, of brutish men, skillful to destroy. Thou shalt be for fuel to the fire. Thy blood shall be in the midst of the land, and thou shalt be no more remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken it. Well, that was a very interesting dream. Well, we got one from uh, Mariana Payne, uh, ten seventeen twenty one, which we called Bride Overcomes, Snake Attacks. And Mariana said, In this dream, I was walking towards a sandy beach shoreline. Well, we know God said that the sand was Abraham's seed, which we are by faith. Genesis 22:15 through 18 says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham a second time out of heaven, and said, By myself have I sworn, says the Lord, because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heavens, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations be of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice so uh, Mariana said on the beach I saw five or six people working and standing around their work desks with computers brainstorming something and as I walked closer to them they all closed their computers and were being very secretive about what they were doing. Could be something like I just read, spoke to you about, the computer programs, right? As soon as I got close to the first computer, a PVC pipe came flying through the sky and landed in the sand a few feet away from me. Well, as we will see, these people standing on the sand represent our enemies, in the faction of the deep state and the church that want to conquer and subdue God's people. They're plotting to destroy us with their snake bites and their venom, uh, representing their slander, lies, and murder uh, on the spiritual side, of course. Uh, Romans three thirteen through 18, they're throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, 
Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So the workers immediately jumped under their desks to hide from the two-foot-long PVC pipe sticking out of the sand. I didn't understand what danger this pipe could impose. All of a sudden, a black-and-white banded snake shot out of the pipe. It looked similar to a California king snake, except the snake was poisonous. The pipe could represent something that is piped into your home. We are hearing that people should not drink city water uh, because of the things that are being put in it in various places. So keep that in mind. <clears throat> it rose in the air and hovered a minute, then turned around and set its sights onto me. It flew towards me and clamped onto my ear and would not let go. Then I saw two more PVC pipes come flying through the air and land on the ground. Uh, let me say, both factions are injecting people with venom. One through the slander and the other through vaccines, literally, or through the water literally, or through their food, literally. And both are killing people physically and spiritually. So we have an article about the venom in Casting Down the Dragon, number three. I'll put that link here. Out jumped two more black and white banded snakes. One snake came slithering towards me, and bit me on my left foot. I stomped it off with my right foot. Well, I'm going to say speaking the word and walking righteously will defeat the poison of the enemy who wants to uh, divert our walk to the left. Uh, the snake bite was then coming towards me, excuse me, the snake was then coming towards me, and it's, I stomped on its head as it tried to bite me. Its head was triangular shaped, like most poisonous snakes are, and I noticed that this snake had little arms and legs almost resembling a baby crocodile or a little dragon, right? So, I stomped them both to death and then pulled off the snake that was chomping on my ear and threw it down and stomped it to death as well. You don't want to mess with this lady. I'm just trying to tell you. Okay. Uh, standing on the promises of the Word enables us uh, to bruise the head of the serpent just as Jesus did, and we do. Amen. After the snake attack had ended, the workers then came out from under their desks. They were shocked to know that I had two snake bites. 
They proclaimed that the snakes were poisonous and that I was going to die in the next few minutes. Well, in these days, of course, people are dying as time goes by. Um, and there, it's a, it's a, it's a holocaust. And uh, we know in the book of Revelation, it seems to continue. Okay. Well, uh, but we know that the bride is immune to these factious poisons. And, um, in fact, we're told if we drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm us. And you know what the bride does? They believe. They believe God. I started to pray scripture over myself, scripture of healing and God's protection, and then continued praying in the Holy Spirit. I was walking around the beach in prayer while they all just watched and waited for me to fall over and die. <laughs> Reminds you of this, doesn't it? Acts 28, 3 uh, on down. It says, But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a fire, a viper came out by reason of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous creature hanging from his hand, they said one to another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped from the sea, yet justice hath not suffered him to live. Howbeit he shook off the creature into the fire and took no harm, no harm. Luke 10 and 19 says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Do you believe the word of God? While I was praying, I saw a room on the beach. Inside this room were microscopes on a desk and an examination chair in the center. It was obviously a medical room of some sort. I opened the door and walked inside. Now listen to this. A medical room. Uh, instantly I felt queasiness in my stomach and bent over in pain. I now felt the snake venom burning inside my body. I knew the snake bites were now potent because I was inside this medical room. And when I was praying in the Spirit and professing Scripture, the venom was not potent. Well, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man and maketh the flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. A salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose trust the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreadeth out its roots by the river, and shall not fear when heat cometh, but its leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding 
fruit. Amen. I knew I had to get out of this room, and if I, unless I, I, if I wanted to live, I managed to get out of the room and wobbled back down towards the beach and fervently continued praying down uh, the spirit of death. First Corinthians fifteen five fifty five through fifty seven says, "O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting?" The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hours seemed to pass in this dream, and the day soon turned to early dusk. The sun was now setting over the water on the horizon. The others were astonished that I was still alive after all this time. I received peace that the danger and death had passed, and I went to sit down on a retaining wall by the beach shore. I think the retaining wall represents sanctification and separation from the world and its ways. The world, of course, is typed in the scriptures as the sea. Isaiah, my five-year-old son, was sitting on top of the wall. Sanctification, right? And next to him was a wild tiger. He said to me, Look at my pet tiger. Isaiah was very excited that the tiger was allowing him to pet him on the paw. Isaiah said, Look, he's so gentle. I could put my whole head into the tiger's mouth, and it wouldn't hurt me. Isaiah proceeded to open the tiger's mouth with his little hands. Just then I saw a glint, almost a sort of wink, in the tiger's eye, and I knew that the tiger meant to harm my boy and bite his whole head off. Well, you know, the devil through temptation seeks to take our head off, which is Christ Jesus, right? Before Isaiah could put his head inside the tiger's mouth, I immediately jumped off the wall and grabbed the tiger's mouth with both hands and ripped the tiger's jaw open and broke it in half. I told you, you can't mess with this woman. The beast will try to deceive the innocent and also steal our fruit if we are not vigilant to protect it. Amen? Okay, this one we called the last day of school for the bride while branches are broken off. This is Winnie Asagata, 4.22.22. Very interesting. The verse I received the night before this dream for the morning prayer meeting was Proverbs 125. Uh, in context, 20 through 20 through 33. Wisdom crieth aloud in the street. She uttereth her voice in the broad places. She crieth in the chief place of concourse and at the entrance of the gates. In the city, she uttereth her words. 
How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight them in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit upon you. I will make known my words unto you, because I have called, and you have refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man hath regarded. But you have set at naught my, all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. Well, we know that those in whom wisdom lives have uh, tried to warn the wicked, but they just scoff. The apostates, but they just scoff. And they march headlong into their death. Verse 26. I also will laugh in the day of your calamity. Well, that's not good news. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as a storm, and your calamity cometh on as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then will they call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices. For the backsliding of the simple shall slay them, and the careless ease of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell securely, and shall be quiet without fear of evil. Well, okay, we need to hearken unto the word of the Lord. He has a solution to all of this curse that's out there. And this is all about judgment on the rebellious and justification and protection of the righteous. This context here. And as I do, sometimes I ask the Lord for a dream that would help the, bo the body and also pertaining to this text as well, I had the following dream. I dreamed I was walking through Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn and it was a very cloudy day outside, not very much sun, S-U-N or S-O-N, <laughs> Uh, Fifth Avenue is where all the shopping stores are, which are located about two blocks or so away from my mom's house where I grew up. I knew it was the last day of school. That's very important. As I was walking through the street. Well, we are coming to the last day of school for the bride which is also when their wicked crucifiers are judged. Her testing will be over, and the rewards will be handed out. And on the last day, some pass, and some don't. Some will be in the bride, but some will lack fruit. I asked for a word this morning before looking at this dream, and got Esther 2 and 4. 
and let the maiden that pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. So there you have it. This is the way it's going to happen. And we know from so many revelations in the Word and in dreams and visions that the bride escapes what the church has to go through later. The people were walking in the streets where the cars are supposed to drive through as opposed to the sidewalk where the people are supposed to walk. Well, where are all the shoppers, huh? Is Babylon shut down? Maybe they're at home watching the D-class. Hmm, I don't know. I heard some people say, even some teachers, that they were not going to show up to school on the last day. I saw one teacher named Mrs. Rodriguez, a red-headed teacher that I had in the fifth grade. Uh, in a cell phone store looking out the large glass windows. Well, I think the red-headed teacher represents the Edomite apostate church leadership who is not in touch with the Holy Spirit, represented by wireless communication because she is not using the cell phones. So 5th Avenue and 5th grade could mean a day of grace for the righteous which leads to judgment on the wicked because God uses the wicked on the righteous to crucify them and to bring them to purity, but then he always judges the wicked. And she said, as we were walking through the street, I noticed fallen, broken uh, dried out branches. Hmm. We've heard about that in the Bible, haven't we? These are reprobated branches with no life in them that bore no fruit. And she said they were all over the place by the sidewalks. Hmm. By the sidewalks. Okay. They were beside the narrow road and walk, but not on it. John fifteen one through 8 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh it away. So notice, these dried branches are talking about God's people who have not borne fruit. Because he said, in me. Some say no. Well, they're wrong. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh it away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he cleanseth it, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, so neither can ye, except you abide in me. Oh, my goodness, you need to get into the Word of God and see what it is to abide in Christ, right? I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same beareth much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And there are many Christians that don't spend much time with the Lord at all. 
Uh, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. There it is. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, see that? Ask whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. Well, we know the seed of the word that the sower sowed is what bears the fruit. In other words, obedience to that word he puts in your heart um, brings forth the fruit. I was walking with a group of people, some children and some adults, and I recognized a factious man. He said something that seemed like an accusation against me, which is normal. And although I do not remember what it was, I believe it was pertaining to my not working hard enough to pick up and break apart the branches and check inside for something we were all looking for inside. Well, all the faction will be desperate to find some fruit of Jesus and there will be none in these rejects. They're dried up all the way to the middle. After the first accusation, I was then accused of being offended, to which I replied that I wasn't offended, as I was not accepting the offense in spite of the temptation to be offered, uh, to be offended, excuse me. Well, the, the faction always accuse others of what they are guilty of. And you can see that in, in the uh, faction in the state and in the faction in the church. That's the same demons, exact same demons. They never take any responsibility for their sins. They always turn and point at other people in order to m- move the attention away from their sins. And when the factious accuse you, it's a good thing. They never accuse their own. We should never accept their accusations either. We then walked over to some branches on the ground on the left, and we started to break them apart to check inside. Even some of the children were breaking apart the branches to look inside. Even children can tell when there's fruit and when there's not, or when there's life left in the branch and when there's not. So this represents looking for the life of Christ, but they are dried and dead branches, and they're on the left, which is where the goats go. I could feel a bit of discouragement try to sweep in due to the accusation against me. Well, this is because that there is witchcraft mixed in with their slander. That's right. And they speak to you. You find crazy things happening. Well, then just guess what? You need to rebuke it and renounce it and don't listen to slanders. The slanderer will I destroy, God says. Because if you listen to them, you will become a slanderer. It's the facts. I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random regarding this and received Romans 8 and 26. And in like manner, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmity, for we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit maketh himself, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So when under attack, pray in the Spirit. 
because as we know, the Bible says, it builds you up, right? strengthens you. I asked the Lord for one more verse by faith at random regarding this dream because I wanted more understanding, and I received another verse pertaining to wisdom. Revelation 17 and 9. Here is the mind that hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Well, this represents, as we know, the seed of the seven world beast kingdoms uh, from the beginning until now. Uh, and, of course, those who walk in the flesh belong to this. The dragon, of course, and the beast uh, both have the seven heads and ten horns. And many Christians who believe they're Christians belong to the dragon and are attempting to devour God's people especially the man-child and the bride. Okay, so here's another revelation. We called it Man-Child and Bride Inspecting the Fruit. And this was given to Pilar Pinar, 322.22. I dreamed of David Eels and I. <clears throat> well, I believe Claire here represents the bride because her name means brilliant and we know that she had on that brilliant garment, right? And uh, David, rep David represents the David Manchild body of First Fruits Reformers. Okay. So she went on to say, we were in a little garden bed. Well, a garden bed is a play on words, I believe, uh, as we enter into our continual Sabbath rest of ceasing from our own works we bear much fruit of Christ in our lives. She said, I was wearing a white dress that covered my arms and was long down to my feet. And I believe this represents the Lampros garment, Revelation 19 and 8. And it was given unto her, that is the bride, that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure, well, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. David and I were standing on really dark soil, uh, representing the fertile ground of the word that we are planted in, which bears much fruit of Christ in us. We, we too are to be the word made flesh, and out of this flesh, of course, grows the spiritual man, right? John 12 and 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abideth by itself alone. But if it die, it beareth much fruit. Now, this is a place where, of course, the faction helps us and blesses us, uh, putting us on our cross, you know, and bringing forth this fruit. So, as long as we're uh, willing to be obedient to the Lord in the midst of these trials, we will bear fruit. So, David was crouching down and looking at a tomato plant. Uh, tomato in the ancient Aztec language means love apple. And the bride's fruit is love. 
I was also looking at the plant, and I gently moved one of the leaves away, and there was a huge red tomato under one leaf. And David said, There it is. Then he moved all the other leaves away gently, one by one, and there were these beautiful red tomato fruits under most of the leaves. Well, we know what the leaves do. They take in the sun, S-O-N, S-U-N, and give off beneath the leaf the oxygen, which is the spirit of life, and water representing the word of life. Amen? So, that's why such fruit can be born under them. I began skipping around David with joy, and he was smiling brightly and uh, widely, very happy with the fruit. David and I started singing in tongues together to the same tune with the same song. It was glorious. Well, we know the man, child, and bride are one spirit, mind, and body in Christ. The man-child actually is part of the bride body because he is the head of the bride body, much like David was the head of Jerusalem, which was said to John to be the bride. Okay. So this next one we call Provision for the Bride. It was given to Terry McGinley on 4 and Deb put some notes in here before I got it, Deb Horton. Uh, I had a dream where I was observing these young men, and I believe they're representing the man-child body of the First Fruits Reformers. They were between the ages of 18 and 23 or so. Uh, 18 is the numerical value of the Hebrew word chai which means life. It is a Jewish custom to give uh, monetary gifts uh, in, in increments of 18, thus symbolically blessing the recipient of the gift with a good long life. And the number 23 in the Bible symbolizes death. The man-child body of reformers is the first to come to their spiritual death to self so that they can bring salvation, provision, and life through the gospel of Christ to all of God's elect during their first three and a half years of ministry during the tribulation. They were camping and someone told them of a lady that was in need and asked if they could help out. Deb put, uh, camping represents that the man-child reformers are in their own personal wilderness. Okay. And I think the lady in need is the modern-day church who has been impoverished by apostasy and division over these last 2,000 years and is in desperate need of the real Jesus. One young man said, wait just a minute. Well, and Deb said, the young man represents Jesus who has already given us everything. 
he had a stack of birthday cards. And Deb said birthday cards represent invitations to be born into the kingdom. Amen. He looked through them and found a blank check and a $100 bill. He took them out of the cards and gave them for the lady in need. And Deb put the man-child will show the woman how to receive the $100 bill representing a hundredfold fruit and the blank check representing carte blanche. In other words, whatever is needed, no stipulations or no limits. Well, this sounds very much like Esther 2 and 13 to me. Then in this wise came the maiden unto the king. Whatsoever she desired was given her to go out of the house of the women unto the king's house. Yes, that's when the bride is chosen, right? He left the check blank, and I was really surprised, thinking he'd give maybe 5 or $10, especially since he didn't seem to have much and was so young. Well, that was the whole dream, she said. Well, Jesus didn't have much during his earthly life, according to the world's standards, but he gave all of his life so that we could have life. Uh, a blank check reminds me of Mark 11 and 24, which many people ignore to their own disaster, right? Mark 11 and 24, Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that ye received them, and you shall have them. Wow. Powerful, powerful. Powerful revelation. Well, um, you know, God has provided everything for us to go out of the house of the women, that is the denominations and the sects of Christianity, and to go to the king's house, which, of course, the bride goes to. He's provided everything. All things whatsoever. That doesn't leave anything out. All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received. It's, it's past tense in the, uh, the Greek. In fact, even um, uh, most texts have uh, received either in the text itself or in the notes. It's received. Believe that you received them and you shall have them. Okay, you shall have them. The Lord's provided everything. The bride is able to partake of this everything, and it's because the bride has faith. You know, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness towards God, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And the bride has a clear conscience, and uh, they have no problem receiving from the Lord. The apostates have a big problem receiving from the Lord because they haven't been taught faith. This is faith. Mark 11 and 24 is faith. And it is given to people who have a clear conscience so that they can have faith and believe and receive. So if you 
need to repent of something, especially any kind of willful disobedience, please do before these terrible things come upon the world. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.26, if we sin willfully after that we receive a knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment which shall devour the adversaries. You see, you're adversarial to God when you walk in willful disobedience. You know, if you had children, that you should never let willful disobedience go by without a chastening. God doesn't. He says so in His Word. And, uh, of course, you know, children do foolish things and that they're not accounted against them because they're children. And they stumble and they fall and you just help them up and you love them and so on and so forth, you know. Uh, willful disobedience, if you let it go, you're going to raise a monster. Okay. And God knows that about us. He loves us enough that if we sin willfully, he's going to send a chastening that's going to devour the adversaries. So, repent. Draw near to God. Judgment is coming. Some very fearful judgments are coming. Uh, I believe the Lord has shown us very clearly that there are still more plagues uh, prepared. I think that the uh, deep the white hats have done a good job to do their very best to wipe out these plagues. But as you know, uh, they call them the poor man's nuclear bomb. And it's very hard to stop them. You can't destroy everything. Um, it only takes a little to do an awful lot of damage. And they have done in these labs, they've uh, jacked up all of these plagues from the past and they want to throw them at you and they want to put them in the water the pvc pipe right to poison you so but we have a savior and he he doesn't just save our spiritual man he saves our fleshly man or natural man i should say uh the flesh it is is the carnal nature, and it definitely has to die. And if a person lives carnally, they will die, as the Apostle Paul said. And, of course, uh, if we walk after the Spirit, <laughs> we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And if we walk after the flesh, you must die, Paul said, Romans 8. So, Lord, uh, we thank you so much for this wonderful revelation we ask, Lord, that we make the best of it. I pray that anyone who didn't understand it goes back through it and studies it and uh, gets it down in their heart, as all of these revelations are wonderful. And thank you, Father, for them. And, uh, Father, please bless uh, Michael Hare, along with the brethren who are joining him. And we love you and we appreciate you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you for it. Amen. All right. God bless you, saints. We'll do this again soon. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, Saints. Good to be back with you again. Got a nice, cool morning. 
Let's go to the Lord. Oh, Lord, we just love you. We praise you, Lord. Glory be to God. We just praise you, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and the gifts that you've given us, Lord. We ask and we pray, Father, that they be prevalent in our walk with you, Lord. And we thank you for tongues and uh, the gift of tongues. And we just praise you, Lord, for today's uh, message of, on the Holy Spirit and tongues that you would anoint us to give out the message that uh, would help the people out there to understand about tongues and the importance of it. And we thank you, Father, for doing that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, that's what I want to talk about today is the Holy Spirit and tongues. <clears throat> In Acts 2 and 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost was now come. Pentecost means 50. And it was 50 days after the Passover, and the Passover was Jesus Christ's crucifixion. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. He's our lamb. He's our Passover lamb who was crucified for us. And also, Passover had another name. It was the day of the first fruits. Now, isn't it interesting that the first fruits here are being filled with the Holy Spirit? All of them. But not only that, there were 120 people originally waiting for the Holy Spirit. Folks, you don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit anymore. But we're going to read this anyway. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which said he, ye heard from me. Now, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. These 120 people in verse 15 were being obedient and they were waiting for the promise of the Father. Folks, you don't have to wait now. You just have to receive it because it was poured out then and God never took the Holy Spirit back. You ain't got to wait for it anymore. You're supposed to receive it by faith. Praise God. There were 120 people on Pentecost. Now, 120 times 56,000. There's something else interesting. The Jews say that Moses was given the law, when he was glorified up there on the mountain, on Pentecost. Moses was also a first fruits from among the people of God. So the Feast of Harvest, Pentecost, was also called the Feast of uh, Harvest, and it was also called the Day of the First Fruits. Feast of Harvest, that's the first harvest, not the end-gathering harvest at the end of the year. That Exodus 23 says, but this is the first fruits harvest. So we got these people, and the Holy Spirit is upon them powerfully so that they walked in the kingdom of God, even though they walked here on earth. They walked in the kingdom of God, which is what Romans chapter 8 says. You're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit if you've received the spirit of God. That's what it says. So if you ask me, 
Will all of the first fruits be filled with the Spirit? Of course. Yeah. Too much evidence points in that direction that they will have the first fruits. First of all, to manifest Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits, right? He was called the first fruits. And to manifest him, it can't be done on your own. You have to have the power. That's what he said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come on you, upon you. To be what? Witnesses of me, he says. These people were not just witnesses, not just giving a witness of Christ. They were a witness of Christ. Their lives were a witness of Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon them. Like Peter, who denied the Lord after he walked for, with him for three and a half years. He denied him and couldn't stand up in front of people. And now, all of a sudden, he got filled and was used to convert 3,000 people with his words. They were bold and they were fearless. You know, we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to have that power to overcome the world and the flesh. Now let's read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was now come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of the rushing of a mighty wind. I believe that's the breath of Jesus, don't you? When he breathed on the disciples in John chapter 20, and he said in verse 21, As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Well, here it comes ten days later. The Holy Spirit comes, right? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 3, it said, And there appeared unto them tongues parting asunder. The numeric says being distributed. And that's the best interpretation of that. It says, And there appeared unto them tongues being distributed like as a fire. And of course, he shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. It says in Matthew 3 and 11 and Luke 3 and 16. Why fire, you think? Why would the tongue be a fire? Actually, it says in James chapter 3 that the tongue is a fire, but he's using it in a negative way. James 3 tells us that the tongue is just a little tiny vessel, but it is as powerful as a rudder that turns a great big ship. And of course, the ship is talking about our life, right? The tongue is powerful to turn our life or destroy it. It sets on fire the cycle of life. It can burn a great forest down, he says. The tongue can be a fire to burn up your life or it can be a fire to burn up your old life. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, your tongue has power over the flesh, over the corruption, over things around you. A fire is a cleansing. Besides, you can look at it negatively, being very destructive in your life, but it can also be very helpful to your born-again life. Because obviously the old man has got to decay in order for the new man 
to be raised up according to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. So, as the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed. A decay is just another form of oxidation. Fire is rapid oxidation. It can burn up that old life. And he goes on to say here in verse 4, And they were all filled, notice it says all, with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as a spirit gave them utterance. You would imagine that if God wanted to give an accurate example here, that if he didn't offer this gift to everyone, he wouldn't have put all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Folks, is God a respecter of persons? Bible says he's not. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And we see it right here in verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we see all the way through the book of Acts that they spoke with tongues and it was a common thing. It was the most common gift. In fact, we can't prove that they didn't all speak with tongues. We can prove that they all didn't have the gift of tongues along with the gift of interpretation, which is for the church. But we cannot prove that they didn't all speak with tongues. And we have a lot of examples where it said, and they all spake with tongues. So what's the point? Why do we need to speak with tongues? Well, in James chapter 3 and verse 6, it says that the tongue is a fire. It is a very destructive member of our body that can set on fire the cycle of life. Literally. It says, starting in verse 2, If any stumbleth not in word, the same is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. Why not? If God says that the tongue can bridle the body, let the Holy Spirit pray through you according to the will of God. Look in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. And in like manner, the Spirit also helps our infirmity. For we know not how to pray as we ought. Well, we really don't, folks. We're trapped in a body that in many cases walks by sight in this world. And unless the Holy Spirit opens our spiritual eyes, of course, the Holy Spirit sees everything and knows everything. In like manner, the Spirit helps our infirmity. It, said, it goes on and says, But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So, the Holy Spirit, when he prays through you, prays according to the will of God. He helps our infirmity of being locked in this body and he sees the whole picture. He prays for us according to the will of God. And we know according to 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, that if we ask anything according to his will, we should know that he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know that we have the petition of which we have asked. Boy, that's awesome. With the Holy Spirit praying through you, you can't 
pray in unbelief, folks, for he always prays according to the will of God. We always get a prayer that comes out of our mouth that is according to the will of God. Can you think of any gift that we've got that's any better than that for the Holy Spirit? He always sees your needs and to pray through you to God according to his will, which he always answers. And it says that we should know we have the petition that we have asked for. If we ask anything according to his will. So the Holy Spirit helps our infirmity in praying through us because it sees the need that we don't. And that's powerful. If you could ask God for a gift, that'd be the one that would be the most precious to you. Folks, there are people out there that say that speaking in tongues is the least gift. There ain't a Bible, there ain't a verse in the Bible that says that. They quote it like it's a verse. And that's from people who have been trained to speak against the Holy Spirit. In a lot of cases, they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil, you're speaking against the Holy Spirit. Blaspheme means to speak against. And you need to be real careful about that because the Bible doesn't say anything negative about tongues. Other, <clears throat> other than, it, uh, than that it does say that tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that God don't give bad gifts to his children? He only gives good gifts to his children. It says in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? There's a lot of people who are not asking God for the Holy Spirit. And they're trained not to ask God for the Holy Spirit. They're trained that they've received everything that they're ever going to get when they first got saved. And that's a lie straight from the pits of hell. That's a total fabrication. There ain't nothing true in the scriptures about it. Another thing with the Holy Spirit praying through us is that he prays through our spirit. He doesn't pray. The Holy Spirit doesn't pray through our mind. He prays through our spirit. As a matter of fact, I can read Whatever I want to wreck and read my Bible and at the same time speak in tongues. I can read and speak in tongues at the same time because it's not my mind. If my mind is engaged in the verse on this page, I can speak in tongues while I'm doing that. And, you know, that's one of the ways that the Lord shows us that this wasn't us. Because the devil tells everybody, tells everybody that when they first speak in tongues, you did that. The Bible says they spake in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. He didn't say that they didn't speak in tongues, but just that the Spirit gave the utterance. What the Spirit is doing, He's using your body through you. So you're doing it, but it is the utterance that's coming from God. That's what the Bible says. Now look in 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul talked about praying in the Spirit. He said it was speaking in tongues. Verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, he's saying my spirit here. But over here, we're seeing that the Holy Spirit's doing this. What's the difference? The difference is that the Holy Spirit prays through our spirit, not through our mind. It's our 
recreated spirit, but he's praying through our spirit. He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, your mind is disengaged. In a way, that's a that's a good thing because uh, if you know anything about prophecy, it's not as pure as tongues. Now, I didn't say it wasn't a greater gift, but what I'm saying is that it's not as pure as tongues. And the reason is because prophecy is in your own language and can be manipulated by your mind. There's a mixture there. And he says, continuing in verse 15, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. So praying in the Spirit is not praying with your understanding. If you're praying in the Spirit, you don't know what you're saying. But the Spirit does, and is praying according to the will of God. And in fact, it's a very good thing that you don't know what you're saying, because if you did know what you were saying, it could be manipulated by your mind as prophecy also can be manipulated by your mind. Now, if you go over to Jude chapter 20, you can see that he says this. He said, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now you know what the praying in the Holy Spirit is. It's praying in tongues. It builds up your faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And why would he tell all these people that if if they all couldn't do it. He didn't say some of you or the ones that can. You don't see that example in the book of Acts either. And continuing on, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy, and so on and so forth. So let's go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, and they were all, you see what it says, it says all, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Actually, the word there is tongues, okay? They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Interesting. Some people say the tongues we hear today are not scriptural because those tongues were used to speak to people. Well, I speak in tongues, and I've never seen anybody who didn't speak in tongues speak to somebody in their own language in this way. It's only the people that do speak in tongues that do this. So why would you take the word of somebody who don't speak in tongues? That this is the only method that the Holy Spirit uses when speaking to us. And that's ridiculous, because in the whole rest of the book of Acts, they didn't know what they were saying, and nobody else understood what they were saying either, unless somebody was 
was there that had a gift of interpretation. So they picked this part out and say, you see, this is not a scriptural gift of tongue. Well, that's a lie. You see, sometimes it does work that way, and other times it don't. And I'll say it like this. The overwhelming amount of time that I speak in tongues, I don't know what I'm saying. I never got the interpretation. It's kind of like how we all get gifts. Each one of us has been given several gifts. It says that in 1 Corinthians 12. But God can manifest any of those gifts, gifts through us at any time that we need them. It's just that commonly, for the benefit of the body, we're probably going to have just one or two or three of those gifts. So that does happen today. This thing of people hearing in their own language, this gift that is spoken to the saints that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's go back to this all thing in chapter 2 and verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember the exhortation there in Jude to pray in the Holy Spirit and in 1 Corinthians 14 that that was speaking in tongues? And we got other examples in the book of Acts where they all received the Holy Spirit. For instance, in Acts chapter 10, let's look at that. We'll look at a couple of examples here. This is when Peter went to teach Cornelius. Y'all remember the story, right? Cornelius was a devout man, and he feared God. He gave alms and prayed to God always, and God heard his prayers. Then he sent an angel had him send Peter to come and tell them how to be saved and so forth. And Peter, meanwhile, got a re revelation while he was in a trance that he was to go with the men that were sent to him to bring him to Cornelius and his household. So Peter knew and was prepared that he was to go into a Gentile's house and preach to him, which he did. And in verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised unbelievers, or all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. How'd they know they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Because they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And notice, it was all of them. Every one of them got filled. Again, is God a respecter of persons? Obviously, the Bible says he's not a respecter of persons. Then it goes on and says, Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Well, the apostles had learned that when people speak in tongues, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't they? They knew from their own experience, and they knew from other experiences that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go into a church, and they don't believe in speaking in tongues, you're not going to find any of the other gifts of the Holy Spirit working there either. Unless there's a person there that does speak in tongues, you ain't going to find any of the other gifts of the Holy Spirit working there either. In general, if you go into a church where they do believe in tongues, you're going to see the other gifts there also. And if you go to a church where they don't speak in tongues, you're not going to see the other gifts there either. 
They might tell you that their pastor is prophesying because it's anointed preaching, but that's real questionable too because I've listened to a lot of those preachers that called anointed preaching and it wasn't even according to the word of God. So what they're trying to do is to drag the gifts down onto man's level or else they say the gifts have been done away with. <laughs> yeah, the Bible has been totally ripped out, huh? In Acts chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Now the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with him. Well, that's when Peter began to explain himself. And he relayed the whole series of events that led up to him preaching to the Gentiles and them receiving the Holy Spirit. Down in verse 15, he said, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, even as on us at the beginning. Well, how did it fall on them at the beginning? They all spoke with tongues. And he goes on and says, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If then God gave unto them the like gift as he did also unto us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'd like to share something with you here. When we believed is false. It is actually who had believed. There's a big difference. You know why? Because some people think that you automatically get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. There's two words that King James put in there that are wrong. Even my Bible is wrong here, but the numeric Bible has it right. It says, who had believed. And then it goes on and says, as he did also give unto us who had believed. When did the apostles believe? They believed a long time before they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And it goes on and says, who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? In other words, he was using a proof that God had accepted these people because they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And goes on and says, and when they heard these things, well, they accepted that proof, didn't they? Obviously, because what they did, it goes on and says, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles, also hath God granted repentance unto life. You know, the Bible says in Acts that he gave the Holy Spirit to them that obeyed him. There's a lot of people who didn't obey him and they didn't receive. That's in Acts chapter 5, verse 32. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God hath given to them that obey him. You know, there's a lot of the church out there that is as stubborn and rebellious, just like the Pharisees were. They weren't going to receive the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. There was a major division between the people of God who were the Jews at that time. And just such a major division is coming in the church again because history just repeats. The disciples who were at Jerusalem, the, the apostles who were at Jerusalem, received it. 
because they had received the Holy Spirit as well as they did. They had spoken in tongues too, so they knew that they had received the Holy Spirit. And another good example is in Acts chapter 18. That was where Apollos had been ministering the word of God. Acts 18, 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by race, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, knowing only the baptism of John. Well, it's obvious he didn't come into to the baptism in the name of Christ, which is spoken of in Acts 2. He missed out on that somehow, but he did receive the baptism of John. He understood accurately who Jesus was. It says that he was a true believer, Acts 18 and 26, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more accurately. And when he was minded to pass over into Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to receive him. And when he was come, he helped them much that had believed through grace. For he powerfully confuted the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So here was a disciple of Christ who was a strong believer. He hadn't received the baptism in the name of Jesus yet, but was still under the baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance, and that was good. But he didn't have the faith of being baptized into Jesus Christ. Then in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found certain disciples. It says disciples. Since he didn't say anything else, we know that he's talking about Christian disciples, although they had missed out on something too. Acts chapter 19 and verse 2, and he said unto them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said unto him, Nay, not, we did not so much as hear whether the Holy Spirit was given. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So they hadn't yet received the New Testament baptism either. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Now it didn't say anything like that about Apollos, which leads you to believe that he had already received the Holy Spirit because they didn't ask him. He had that power to confute the Jews, to teach accurately, and so on and so forth. He just hadn't been baptized. But these people not only had not been baptized into the name, literally of the name of Jesus, but they hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet either. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of the repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, that should come after him, that is, on Jesus. Now, of course, they were disciples. They had already believed on Jesus. They just hadn't been baptized yet. Acts chapter 19, verse 5 said, And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Again, 
It doesn't say that some of them spoke with tongues. They all spoke with tongues and prophesied. And this was 12 men, as verse 7 says. And they were all in all about 12 men. Again, they all spoke with tongues. That don't sound like what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 30. Do all speak with tongues? Well, so far we're about 100. They all spoke with tongues, right? So we're talking about how people who do speak in tongues know the differences between the gift of tongues, which is for the church, and the personal prayer language that's given to them. And if you'll notice that nobody in the book of Acts has asked for an interpretation yet. But in 1 Corinthians, it was demanded that they give an interpretation or be quiet in the church. Nobody has asked for an interpretation yet. One of the first things that they wanted to know from these people was whether they had been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. After they believed in Jesus, they wanted to find that out about them. You know why? Because if they didn't receive that, they were missing out on part of the covenant. Did you know that the covenant includes that? And if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on part of God's covenant for you. He never ordained that anybody be not ordained with the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. The promise of the covenant is in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 24. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and will bring you into your own land. That's true of us Christians. We have come into our own land and it's called Israel. We've been grafted into the olive tree of all Israel. For them, it was a physical land and for us, it's a spiritual land. Continuing on with verse 25, and I will sprinkle clean water upon you that's what the scripture said. And you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. 26. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. If you'll notice, it says a new spirit. And they use a little S there. Verse 27. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And, it says, and, I will put my spirit within you. And if you'll notice, they put a capital S there. They obviously thought they were talking about your personal spirit and the Holy Spirit. And it goes on and says, and cause you to walk in my statutes. You see, you need power to walk in obedience to God. And it goes on and says, and you shall keep mine ordinances and do them. Now, again, I want to point out that just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're obeying the Holy Spirit. But if you have the Holy Spirit, you you got the power to do that. Notice that he says, a new spirit and my spirit. And in Romans 8, we see the same thing. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't even belong to him. But if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He gives life to your mortal body through his spirit, which dwells in you. Says that in Romans 8 and 11. There's a difference in the spirit of Christ, which is your born again spirit, and the Holy Spirit. You need to have a born again spirit of Christ, and you need to have the Holy Spirit. 
Well, there's people out there who say, well, they received it in Acts chapter 8. And it doesn't say they spoke in tongues. Well, it's true that it don't say that, but they do have to say it every time. In Acts 8, let's read that. Something supernatural happened there. And I can tell you that if you walk into many of the churches today, nobody would be able to tell if somebody was filled with the Holy Spirit or not, except by their doctrine. They say you automatically get it. And that's ridiculous. It doesn't fit what the scriptures say, and it doesn't fit this text here either, because verse 12 says that they that believed when Peter preached good tidings, says that they believed. They were believers concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized. So they believed and were baptized, both men and women. And Simon believed also. That was Simon the sorcerer. Acts 8 and 12. And Simon also himself believed, and being baptized, he continued with Philip, and beholding signs of great miracles wrought, he was amazed. That's the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, folks. Now, when the apostles that were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet it was fallen upon none of them, only they had been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So why would they have to come down and pray for them if it's automatic? It's obviously not automatic. That's a lie. It's a way to keep you from receiving the Holy Spirit. And that's what the devil wants you to believe. The truth is that Peter and John came down and prayed for them after they were believers and had been baptized. Acts chapter 8, verse 17 says, Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. What did he see? He saw something visible, something physical that happened when the Holy Spirit fell on them. Go into those churches that say you automatically receive the Holy Spirit. See if you can see anything that would make you know for certain that somebody had received the Holy Spirit. What was the common evidence all through the Bible? Speaking in tongues. Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, and he offered them money. And that was something that really impressed old Simon, didn't it? Acts chapter 8 and verse 19, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, Thy silver perish with thee, because thou hast thought to obtain the gift of God with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right before God. Literally it says, Thou art in a gall of bitterness in verse 22. Just a little side note on Simon the sorcerer. He was a false prophet from that day forth according to history, according to the early church fathers. Bishop Eusebius and Justin Martyr told the history on Simon Magus or Simon the Magician that he traveled from city to city with some mixture of sorcery and Christianity. And he ran into Peter, according to history, in Caesarea and Antioch. And Simon the Saucer was using supernatural signs such as that he would preach to the crowds by being levitated 
up in the air according to the early church fathers. And when Peter saw him, he prayed and distracted that demon spirit that was enabling him to do this, and Simon fell to his death. That was the story that the early church fathers told about Simon Magus, and that he was a false prophet. Okay, but notice they saw something. There was always a manifestations of the spirit. And why would it be any different today other than the fact that people so easily accept another gospel? Why would Jesus say, for instance, in Mark 16 and 17, and these signs shall accompany them that believe in my name, they shall cast out demons, they shall speak with tongues. And some versions say new tongues. But actually, the numeric says that there is no such word there. That word was added in. It's just tongues, folks. And some people say, oh, it's new tongues. When I get saved, I start talking differently. No, it ain't. It's using the same terminology as we just looked at in the book of Acts, just tongues. So why would Jesus say that believers in some versions say that signs and wonders will follow them that believe? That's good. Why did Jesus seem to imply that believers could all speak with tongues? If God only gives this personal prayer language to a few, how can you have them all in chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19? How can all of them speak in tongues? Folks, don't let the devil talk you out of speaking in tongues. It's a powerful gift. It is a powerful gift to let the Holy Spirit pray through you. Why would he have to pray through you? Because God has determined to use us to destroy the works of the devil. And he's determined that with our heart and with our mouth, we confess to the Lord. It's man that failed. It's man that disobeyed and failed because of disobedience. And it's man that is going to overcome and come back into obedience. Praise God. Jesus spoke in tongues. You know, I've heard people say Jesus never spoke in tongues. He sure did. Mark 15, 33 and 34. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why were they interpreting? Why would it need an interpretation? Because tongues needs an interpretation. They gave it an interpretation. Eloi, Eloi, Lima Sabachthani, which interpreted is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus didn't speak in tongues. You don't know that Jesus didn't speak in tongues. Nobody knows. As the Bible has said, everything hadn't been written here yet. It doesn't tell you when somebody doesn't speak in tongues. Jesus may have been speaking in tongues all along, but he definitely did it here because they needed an interpretation. And I'll tell you what, tongues happened in the Old Testament too. Turn over to Daniel chapter 5. An interpretation happened in the Old Testament also. The people are so down on tongues because the devil doesn't want you to have that gift. That's why they're false prophets. Daniel 5 and 5. This is when Belshazzar was king of Babylon, and he and his queen and ladies and nobles were all drinking from the vessels of God that came from Jerusalem. And this is a type and a shadow when the beast is putting to death the saints in this using of the vessels of God that came from the temple. Okay? 
They were drinking out of those vessels. Daniel 5 and 5, it says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against a candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. How many of you can picture that? It's about time for your knees to start doing that when you see this, right? I guess you might be excited too if you were uh, a gross sinner abusing the vessels of God, and all of a sudden you get to see a writing on the wall. <laughs> anyway, the king got some advice and he sent for Daniel, whom he knew had gifts of interpretation. And he said to Daniel, Daniel 5, 14, I have heard of thee that the Spirit of God is in thee. Literally, this is Elohim. It could be interpreted as the gods, but in this case, it is Elohim. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in thee. And now the wise men, the enchanters, have brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. But I've heard of thee, that thou canst give interpretations and to dissolve doubts. And of course, Daniel gave all the credit to the Lord, and he warned the king and so forth, the king and so forth. Daniel 5.25, and this is the writing that was written, many, many, tickled a parson. So he told him what was written and gave the interpretation. Daniel 5 and 26, this is interpretation of the thing, many. God hath numbered thy kingdom and brought it to an end. Tickle, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. That's pretty interesting. This is an interpretation that Daniel received. He received a tongue and an interpretation. Now we're told in chapter 2 of Acts where they were speaking in tongues. Acts 2 and 33. Being therefore by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath poured forth this which you see and hear. So the promise of the Holy Spirit was something that you could see and hear. That's interesting. Now, you know that you can't just receive the Holy Spirit quietly and have nobody know about it. If it's done in public, it's going to be seen and heard, right? Well, what did they hear? They heard the Holy Spirit speaking through them in tongues. That's what they heard. This is what the uproar was about. He was talking about the promise of the Father in verse 33, and he says in, verse, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, For to you, is the promise, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call unto him. Does that mean you can have it? Well, that's got to include us, us and our children. That's what he said. It still doesn't sound like God gives this gift of tongues to some and not to others, that he wouldn't give this to all, right? Isaiah 28 9, Who will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Them that are weaned from the milk milk and drawn from the breast. There's a lot of the church out there that don't want to leave the milk, right? 
Then Isaiah 28, 10. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Nay, but by men of strained lips and with another tongue would he speak to this people. And of course, that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. And it's still happening today, by the way. It's happening today. We've got the same Pharisees today that are renouncing and rejecting the Holy Spirit today as they had back then. Isaiah 28 and 12. To whom he said, this is the rest. Give ye rest to him that is weary, and this is the refreshing. Yet you would not hear. Well, is God offering the rest to just some people, or is he offering the rest to everybody? And if we don't enter into his rest, we've got no part in his kingdom. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 says that. This is the rest, folks. He gives rest to him that is weary. This is the refreshing. And yet they wouldn't hear. The Jews wouldn't hear. And the Pharisees in our day don't want to hear either. Isaiah 28 and 13. Or 13, yeah. Therefore shall the word of the Lord be unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. That did happen to him, by the way. 14, wherefore hear the word of the Lord, ye scoffers that rule this people and that is in Jerusalem. The scoffers didn't receive the tongues nor the Holy Spirit. And they're still with us today. I've had people tell me that this isn't talking about the same thing that is in the New Testament. Well, yeah, it is because it's quoted in 1 Corinthians 14. Look at that, 1 Corinthians 14, 21. In the law, it is written by men of strange tongue and by the lips of strangers will I speak unto this people and not even thus will they hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to the unbelieving. He's not talking about unbelievers in Christ. And the reason I know that is, that is that if you go back up to verse 16, it says, Else, if thou bless with, thy, with the Spirit, how shall he that fills the place of the unlearned say the amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he knoweth not what thou sayest? So the unlearned that he's talking about here is not the people who don't believe in Christ. It's the people that don't know what they're saying. Verse 22, but prophesying is for a sign. Not to the unbelieving, but to them that believe. If therefore the whole church be assembled together and all speak with tongue. Now, folks, if it wasn't a possibility, why would Paul say this, that the whole church would come together and speak in tongue? Huh? <laughs> 23. And there come in men unlearned or unbelieving. Will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy and there come in one unbelieving or unlearned, he is reproved by all, he is judged by all. The secrets of his heart are made manifest, and so he will fall down on his face and worship God, declaring that God is among you indeed. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and 5, I would have you all speak with tongue, but rather that you should prophesy. Listen, I want to point out something. 1 Corinthians 14, 39, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongue, but let all things be done decently and in order. And I've heard people say we don't want to speak in tongue because that would not be decent and in order. That's, 
that's stupid. Look at the verse. Forbid not to speak with tongues, but let all things be done decently in order. Decently in order is in agreement with the word of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If any man thinketh himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him take knowledge of the things which I write unto you, that they are the commandment of the Lord. Folks, this is the Lord commanding us to forbid not to speak with tongues and that it be done decently in order. What's decently in order? Look at verse 26. What is it then, brethren, when when you come together, each one hath a psalm, hath a teaching, hath a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. So decently and in order includes speaking in tongue. Just because they're unbelievers doesn't mean that this isn't decently and in order. This is the Holy Spirit's decent and in order. You know why people believe these people when they say that? It's because the people are not reading their Bibles. That's why. If they read their Bibles, they would question these people. These are the Pharisees of our day. The overwhelming majority of God's people are deceived by these people. And that lines up with the preachers that don't want to enter in and don't want the sheep to enter in either. The devil through them is afraid. A spirit-filled believer with knowledge of the word is a danger to the devil's kingdom. And he knows it. So he's going to do everything he can to keep you from getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And especially to keep you from praying in the Holy Spirit so that all of your needs can be met and you'd have the power to overcome. Folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next week. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, of red and white Jesus I trust in you sacred heart in you I find mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine oh Jesus I trust in you though the mountains fall into the sea though the rivers rise I still
Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. 